0: Work and then rest. It's a model God implemented for us at the very beginning. Here's Pastor Ed.
1: The model that God laid down is six one. Six days of work, one day of rest. We've changed it a little bit in our culture where it's five days of work and then two days of rest. But still the same principle. You were born to work and you were also born to rest. And you need both. You can't just keep working. I know it's valued today sometimes to be a workaholic. That's not God's will for your life. God's will for your life is not to be a workaholic. God's will for your life is to work hard and be faithful and to rest and to rejuvenate and to honor Him on the day that He sanctified for total rest.
0: This is amazing Greetings in Christ, and again, a very warm welcome to you. This is Abounding Grace, and in a moment, I'll toss things over to Pastor Ed Taylor. We're in Genesis 2 today, talking about the perfect rest and the perfect garden. It's important to note that after God created for six days, He then rested. Pastor Ed believes that's a model for us to follow. We work, then rest. Here he is to explain.
1: Coming back to the day now sanctified. He set a, sets apart this day. There's a day set apart so that it is a day of total rest. A day of total rest. You know, we have something similar in our culture. The model that God laid down is six one. Six days of work, one day of rest. We've changed it a little bit in our culture where it's five days of work and then two days of rest, but still the same principle. You were born to work, and you were also born to rest, and you need both. You can't just keep working. I know it's valued today sometimes to be a workaholic. That's not God's will for your life. God's will for your life is not to be a workaholic. God's will for your life is to work hard and be faithful and to rest and to rejuvenate and to honor him on the day that he sanctified for total rest. And I like that about God. We learned something in Genesis very early on. We serve a practical God. Or in Romans, what would he say? There's a reasonableness about God. He says, present yourself a living sacrifice, which is what? Your reasonable service. Isaiah tells us, why don't you come? God says through Isaiah, come and let's reason together. Like God is practical. He, he is He is a God who created work and He also created rest. And there's so many people that are getting burned out today because they simply refuse to rest. And so God uses the Sabbath here, the seventh day. The word, the Hebrew word for Sabbath is sabbat. And it just means to cease from work or to rest. Now, the Jews would create a systematic religious activity out of this day. And they would look to Saturday as a day of rest and then now, you know, coming into, coming into the New Covenant and some other religious um, teachings, now all of a sudden Sabbath's become not a day of rest, but a day of worship, where that's the only day you can worship. And I've done studies on that. You can just go to our app or on our website and on the study section, just put in the search Sabbath. And I've gone in very depth of why the Sabbath and the way it's taught by many today is not Uh, the only day you can worship God. You know, in Romans chapter 14, it doesn't matter the day. As a matter of fact, if you're a true worshiper of God, you're worshiping God on every day of the week, amen? You're not just serving, waiting. I'm going to live like the world for six days, but boy, for an hour and a half on Sunday, I'll be a worshiper. No, no, you worship on any day of the week, any evening of the week. It's not a day for worship service. In Genesis, we learn that the Sabbath is a day for rest, isn't that what you see in your scriptures? Do you see that right there? What did God say? He rested. It's a day of rest. It's been sanctified for rest. Now, rest certainly involves worship, but it's God-centric. God-centric. Jesus, he even clarified, again, the teaching is Jesus helped us understand and clarified our approach to the Sabbath. The Sabbath was never meant to be a bondage, <laughs> it's a blessing. It comes from God. He goes, come on, guys, rest. I'm going to show you that you can get things done in six days and rest the seventh. I'm going to show you that. And that it become a pattern throughout his relationship with the nation of Israel, even, even to take that into their agriculture, into their land, and how they approach things, that you can work hard and rest. Or you could say, you know, our world says, work hard, play hard. But God says, work hard, rest hard. Rest in him. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, it says, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Isn't that great? That's God's heart for you. Rest was made for man. It's a gift to you. Or in the New Living, I like how, he tra- how they translate it. It says, Jesus said in Mark 2, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. That's the heart of Jesus for you. When he lays something down before you, some command, some prohibition towards sin or something, you have to approach it like God's giving it to you as a gift. This is for your protection. This is for your health. This is for your happiness. This is for your contentment. It's it's not designed for you to make it a big burden and heavy, but rather to enjoy it. And so today we rest not on a special day as much as in a person. Final rest is found by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's really the kind of rest Jesus wants you to. God wants you to enter the kind of rest where you're not striving, 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 that you just have a simple faith in Jesus, that he is your all in all, and you can rest in him. Now, verse 4, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. This is the history, or in some of your translations, the Old King James, this is These are the generations. And this is a phrase that's used some 14 times in Genesis. And it just basically means family history. This is the history. This is how it all went down. These are the records that Moses would have had access to. Before we ever get into the family histories of Adam, before we get into the family histories of Noah, we get the history of heaven and earth, which makes sense. That would be the right order. Before we find out about anybody, we find out about god and so first thing we learn the first thing we learn is that there was no rain upon the earth there was no before before the before the field was it says before the plant of the field was in the earth before any herb verse 5 the lord god had not caused it to rain on the earth so rain won't be experienced till when noah's flood And a mist from the ground is what watered the earth. And creation scientists say that there was probably a water canopy that was covering the earth at this time, creating a very lush tropical environment that was also very protective prior to sin of the damaging ultraviolet rays that would be blocked and the lifespans of man were much longer until the aging process uh, continued to accelerate after sin. And we'll see later in Genesis 7, when the flood comes, it appears that the part of the flood, the waters came up from beneath, but also that canopy was dropped on the earth, and the waters rose. Now, I want you to notice something as well, because there'll be a lot of firsts in Genesis, and I want you to notice there in verse 4, the phrase, the Lord God. And I'll speak specifically to those of you carrying... Uh, a Old King James or a New King James Bible, you'll notice that the word Lord is all in capital letters. And there'll be other times where the word Lord is, is capital L and then little O, R, D. But you'll often see this phrase or this word with all caps. Do you guys see that? L, capital O, it's a little bit lower, but it goes L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is the translator's way of trying to translate the name for God, Jehovah or Yahweh. And we've already been introduced in a previous study to the name for God, Elohim. But here, Yahweh or Jehovah, the definition means he describes himself as the becoming one. And we learn that later on as he reveals himself to Moses in Exodus but whenever you see that, it's Jehovah God. Sometimes I'll even say it that way to, when I'm reading the Psalms or as reading through that. He's reminding that before in the day that Jehovah made the earth and the heavens, the becoming one, the one that's competent, the one that's able to meet our needs. When, when, it meet, when he describes himself as the becoming one, he, he's trying to describe that relationship with you that he is all sufficient for you. He, he's all sufficient. And you know, we've, always, we've all had disappointing times with people where people have disappointed us, people have fallen through, you know, like, like you, you were depending on someone and they didn't come through for you. But when you think of Jehovah, I want you to think in all your dependence of God, he will always come through for you. You will never be disappointed. He will always do what's best for you, but also what will bring him the greatest glory. And so in verse 7, it says, Now the Lord God, Jehovah God, formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 14, that God knows our frame, and he remembers that we're just dust. And out of the dust, God Creates his or, or creates his crowning creation, man, and he were created in God's image. And it's interesting; people study these things, and they say the same 17 elements that are in the ground are in you. Why? So you were made out of the ground. And if you've ever where, ever wondered where you've come from, here you are, the dust of the earth. And that's a good place to understand what God can do with dust. And how he's intimately involved in your creation and mine. Every time I fail the Lord, every time I falter, every time I stumble, it's encouraging for me to remember my roots. It's also encouraging for me that when I begin to think, and there's just this phrase, you know, where it gets over into the realm of pride or the the realm where when I begin to approach God on the basis of what I think I deserve, And I begin to be upset and begin to demand from God or, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can approach that. It can be a a real self-pity place where, you know, oh man, woe is me, I don't get what I deserve. Or you can come to God with a a, a higher level of pride and go, I demand this and this is not fair and this is not, should should not. Well, just remember where you came from. You're a big improvement from the dust that you were. I mean, you are not dirt anymore. You have been created by God And he has literally breathed life into you. So even those that are distant from God right now and not saved, owe their life to their creator. Your life comes from God. You were created in his image. And and the word here that's used in verse 7, formed, is the same word that's used to describe a potter. So already we get a picture of the potter forming and shaping the clay. And this implies that God became directly involved in the shaping and the fashioning of man's physical body. Now, the, body, the elements of the body are very common, and I'm quoting now. We would need 58 pounds of oxygen and 50 quarts of water, two ounces of salt, three pounds of calcium, 24 pounds of carbon, and some chlorine, phosphorus, fat, iron, sulfur, and glycerin. The problem is, is if you had all those ingredients, how do they go together exactly to form a human body? The human body is so complex that an entity, uh, so complex an entity that no scientist can comprehend more than a fraction of its composition and functions. A person that, that launches off into the realm of science will literally spend their whole life studying these things and only coming to a fraction of the knowledge that God knows about the human body. Even as more scientific things are, are learned every year, more advancements, they haven't even scratched the surface of the knowledge of God. I mean, he's that, he's that amazing. Yeah, I, again, quoting, "...a mere piece of skin the size of a stamp requires three million cells, a yard of blood vessels, four yards of nerves, a hundred sweat glands... 15 oil glands, and 25 nerve endings, just the size of a stamp. And with an omniscient genius, God took that dust, that water, those odds and ends of his creation, fashioned them into the body of a man, end quote. It's just amazing. So man is both physical, but he's also spiritual. And again, women as well, men and women, physical and spiritual. Adam was made as a body, soul and spirit and the spirit was to rule man that's god's will to be on top i mean if you look at it you know kind of layered you you should you should see the spirit of god his a man's spirit ruling his life communing with god and the soul and the body or the flesh were to be governed by the spirit in relation to the desires of god but that's not what happens The unregenerate man lives according to the flesh. His flesh rules. And every time you and I turn our back on God, every time you and I compromise, every time you and I sin, it is not a spiritual decision. It's a fleshly decision. And God's intention is for you and I to have our spirits ruling in communion with God. At the fall of Adam, when we get to chapter three, we'll see a drastic change in his nature. His flesh will take center stage pushing the spirit and the soul away from God, being ruled by his fleshly appetites. And this is precisely why a man and a woman must be born again. Another change must occur, putting the spirit of God back on top to rule and reign in a Christian's life. Have you ever wondered why you give into the flesh so much? Have you ever wondered why your fleshly appetites seem to have the upper hand? Doesn't it... it, cause you great consternation to sometimes just hear the things that come out of your mouth? Your mouth, not my mouth, your mouth. They go, oh no, Ed, I stopped out a long time ago. Okay, does it ever surprise you the words that you think in your head? Or the attitudes that you adopt? Or the labels you place on people? Does it ever surprise you? Do you think that's God's will for your life? Some of you label yourself Does it ever surprise you when you take all your problems and project them on someone else and make it their fault when it's actually your fault? Where do you think that comes from? That's not a spiritual decision. God's, God's will for us is to take personal responsibility for our own lives. It's not someone else's fault. It's your fault. It's my fault. I stand before God naked and open before him. And when I stand there, it's not, I'm not going to be able to point the finger. Oh, no, no, God, you don't understand. If Marie wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have done that. And you're just like, oh, you sound like Adam, Ed. You sound just like Adam. It's the woman you, God, you gave me. No, Adam, it's you. No, Ed, it's you. And I wonder how many of you today need to put that same thing. It's not just a marriage thing. We do it with people all the time. We do it with situations all the time. And in a culture that encourages this victim mentality, and I'm always always the victim. You're not the victim. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are victorious. You have the power of God in you. And you're just wasting your time blaming other people. Take responsibility and stand up and follow Christ. Let the Spirit of God rule and reign in your life. That's the beginning. This is God's heart for you. God's hard for you is to remember he fashioned us out of the dust and then he breathed his life into us and he's forming us like a potter. I know we don't always like the twists and turns of the formation process, but the end result is always beautiful. And God knows what he's making in your life. He wants to restore that communion and communication with him. And as he breathes, that's where life comes from. Notice verse 8 now. And the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and he put man whom he, that's where he put man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now there was a river that went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishon. It's the one which encompasses the whole land of Havilah, where there's gold. The gold of that land is good. The delium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It's one that encompasses the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Hiddekel, or you might have in your Bible, the Tigris. It's one that goes toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the euphrates so god created this in perfect environment and what does he do he places man in this perfect environment and what a beautiful awesome luscious spectacular place and what a job adam must have had he worked in an environment with no competition no backbiting no corporate ladder to climb nobody's telling dirty jokes Nobody undercutting you or lying about you. It was a great environment. And we'll learn this as we continue to study through the book of Genesis, but it's important just to mention it now. Work is not the curse. You know, some of you look at you, oh man, work is just the curse. No, work is not. Work predated the curse. Adam was tending the garden and taking care of it, just like God intended. You see, God was practical and God created us to be productive. God created us to be useful. God created us with special gifts and talents to use, fit for the master's use, but also to bring us joy so that we might enjoy it. And even after the fall, the, the, the curse of sin brought work being hard and difficult and challenging sweat of the brow, yes. But God's heart in work is for us to enjoy it. And even after the fall, Jesus would speak about the productiveness that pleases the Father, the productiveness of work that pleases the Father. Remember in John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, My Father has been working until now, and I've been working. And work that pleases the Father pleases the worker. <laughs> Isn't that great? Like when I'm doing all things as unto the Lord, God is going to give me joy. And he's going to give me peace. It's going to be hard because we do live in a fallen world. We do live in a world touched by the curse, yes. But when I do all things as unto the Lord, there's a special gift because I'm going back to the garden. And I'm saying, Lord, I know it's challenging. I know it's touched by sin. But what I'm doing is for you. And that brings me joy. I was born for this. I was born. Work wasn't just to be vocational, but also it included recreation. It was to be fulfilling. Don't think of Aunt Adam as you might have been taught in school as some Neanderthal, you know, dragging Eve around by her hair beating her over the head with a club like Fred Flintstone. Adam was a brilliant genius of a man. And prior to the fall, he was involved in all sorts of Beautiful work.
0: This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And if you missed any portion of today's Bible study, you can simply go online to AboundingGraceradio.com. Another convenient way to get these daily studies is by signing up to receive the free Abounding Grace podcast. Listen and learn when it's most convenient at the gym, in the car or as you're getting ready in the morning. Just go to AboundingGraceRadio.com to learn more about that. You can also get our app. It's available on all platforms. This is another way to hear our program. Search for Ed Taylor in your favorite app store. Each month, we'd like to suggest a book that will encourage you in the Lord. And this month, it's Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders. What does God look for in a leader? Well, this wonderful book will lead you to the answer. With over a million copies now sold, it stands as a proven classic for developing leadership. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your support that we're able to present this radio program on stations all across the nation. Call 877-30-GRACE and we can help you with the ordering details. Or go to our online store at calvaryco.store. We'll return to the Old Testament next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace.